Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Acts 19, uh, this is going to probably seem like odd text for uh, Sunday that we've done baby dedication, uh, child dedication, and yet the truth is, it's what the Lord gave me. So He knows better than I do, better than any of us do, and I just want to hear from the Lord. I just want to hear from the Lord. So, look at verse 14. There were seven sons. That's a lot of boys. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Turn to your neighbor and ask him this question. Who are you? Ask it with a little laughter. I mean, not insulting. Anyone in here ever been asked a question with a little bit of that tone? Who do you think you are? Have you ever had to ask somebody, (laughs) who do you think you are? You ever had somebody kind of pushing you around a little bit? Who do you think you are? Wait a minute. Who do you think you are? That's our question today, drawn straight from the text of verse 15. Now I want you to pray with me that God would help us. God's God's going to ask us a question, and I'm going to try to preach that question, who are you, today? Would you pray with me, Lord? I'm asking that you would do what only you can do in this building. Help my voice to minister efficiently and effectively. I pray that you would bless every mind, every heart that's in this building. Whether seasoned saint or first-time guest, let the word find lodging. Let it find lodging and let our response be appropriate. Help me to preach passionately, yet pointedly. That you, that your great name would be exalted amongst the body. We ask it in Jesus' name and let everyone say amen. God bless you and you may be seated. wasn't long ago for you families that have been up front and some other families that are represented in this place, it wasn't long ago that you had to give them a name for the birth certificate. You had to give them a legal name. There are people scattered throughout this building that had you been given the choice yourself, 
your name might not be what your name is. Okay? I'm sorry if you did not win the lottery on the name. Just by a poll of the crowd, confession is good for the soul. Is there anyone in here that if you could, you would have had a more profound name? Please raise your hand if you'd be honest right here. Yeah, a lot. A lot of people. See my friend back there, Brother Drew. Didn't feel like Drew was maybe what he wanted. Sorry. It's how I feel sometimes. I've mentioned this before. I mean, Josh. They didn't, I don't know how hard they tried. I don't, I mean, I, I honor, they're going to watch this, I'm going to get a call, but there were a lot of options. So now I make it more exotic, Joshua, it's uh, pretty powerful. I always put the B in there, just leave it mysterious, like it doesn't stand for Brandon. Uh, but most of us just received our name. We got stuck with it. Now some have changed their name and back to Brother Mac and his teaching. I do believe that Sister Mac legally took on that last name at marriage. How many ladies out there can remember the debacle of changing your name legally? And trying to travel, if you ever traveled at the same time and you got to carry the appropriate documentation that you have willingly gone through a name change. No one's forced you into it. And you don't get to decide a few years later that, well, you took on his name and that's how it worked. Now, Baby's certificate, you didn't get to do anything about the name, and there's no picture that is accompanied there with that baby certificate. I recently was talking to a family that I was asking them the details. What's the name? What have you named the child? This wasn't too awful long ago. And they said, when you text, we decided we better make a decision. <laughs> Give the baby a name, to which I would tell anyone, if I ever text you, what's the name? Take your time, because I don't want your baby to grow up and be like, you're the reason. You're the reason I'm Buford. You're the reason. They were right between Rufus and Buford, and you're. There's another form of identification that's very common to us Americans. It is our driver's license. It is your legal identifier. I'm not sure what they put in the camera at the license bureau to keep photos from looking like you were even remotely prepared for the photograph to occur. Unless you're 16, no one is ever excited to show their photograph unless you've put on a lot of weight since you took your, and then you're not even too worried about that. 
how it looks. You don't care that when they took the photograph, your face was not ready and looking another way. I've taken about four licensed pictures in a row that it looks like it was a pop quiz when they were snapping the picture. But these are identifiers, identifiers. Recently, we were working with a particular individual and we had to work through some identifiers in which we needed not just our current identification, but we needed certificates, certificate of birth, certificate of marriage. These are documents of legality to establish that you are who you say you are. Because how many know identity theft is a real thing? And I'm gonna tell you right now, it's awful and it's vile. And I pray that God can somehow have mercy on people that are involved and invested in that type of lifestyle. But if you've ever dealt with it, you know it's no joke for someone to mess with your identity. Upon that opening, if you'll allow me, I will walk you texturally into the introduction of Acts the 19th chapter, where Paul here in this third journey, we find him at Ephesus and we find a group of individuals called disciples. Everyone's please say disciples. We learn that there are 12 of them, but for clarity so that everyone who's been in church for a while can make sure that you walk out knowing this. These are not the big 12. Brother Barkus, these are not the 12 that we often talk about when we speak of disciples. But the church had begun to grow rapidly, expeditiously, if you will, and people were becoming rapid followers of Christ. However, when Paul runs across this particular group of disciples, disciples, that's how they were mentioned, he begins to ask and formulate questions, asking them and inquiring as to whether or not they have received the Holy Ghost. And they come back with a question that has been oft quoted in many a Pentecostal pulpit when they said, we haven't even heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Some believe that the translation most closely in the Greek would say, we did not know it was available. Just so there's no confusion, I want everybody here to know the Holy Ghost is available. The Holy Ghost is available. And it was proven again last weekend as people were right in this room, baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. And so as Paul begins to speak and preach to them, we watch this translate into baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus, laying on of hands, and them receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because Paul is teaching a principle to us, you cannot be a disciple of Christ lest ye have relationship with Christ. You cannot be a disciple unless you are living based upon that fundamental and apostolic doctrine. They were buried in 
in John's baptism, understanding to a certain level. I, I want to preach this very clear for a moment. We do not belittle the level of understanding. Paul did not stand up, Brother Matthews, and say, well, you're all ridiculous. I can't believe you're so infant in your understanding. How don't you know more? He was thankful for what they knew. When people show up to our church, our job would never be to make them feel lesser because they are not fully versed in what has... Ooh. Thank God for what they knew. We often in this church, we deal even in services like this where people had been baptized as an infant or when they were younger, they went through a sinner's prayer and they did a certain level and they are following to the level of their knowledge. Our job is not to say, well, then you, you, you know you've done a horrible thing. No, we say thank God for what you've known. I see that you have a heart. So let me open up the story and tell you more about Jesus Christ and tell you that the Holy Ghost is available to you, the Spirit of God. And so as Paul, watch this, they were disciples called disciples without fully knowing this. So would we call them disciples? We might not define them, but to the level of their understanding, they were obedient. I want to show you their qualifier as followers. As soon, as soon as they were taught appropriately, they responded to the word of God. They responded. How do you know that they responded? They were filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says they begin to speak with other tongues, prophesying right there. Woo! It can happen that quickly. And for people that don't believe that there are hungry hearts that want to know more about Jesus, I'm telling you, you've come too late to try to convince me of that. I'm thankful for the experience people have had, but I'm telling you, he is calling people from every walk of every knowledge they've known. He is going to fill this church full of people that only had a little bit of truth. They just saw through glass darkly. They, they knew a little bit about Jesus. Brother Ben, I want to be the church that is full of people that learned about him as a child, but they didn't know the full truth about him. They were maybe dedicated as a child, but they didn't know the truth about the oneness of God. I, I want to be a church full of people that maybe when they were a baby, they were baptized, but they didn't know they could come to a time in their life where they could be put down in the water of immersion in the name of Jesus. Because I have found that people like that, once they come to learn about him, they don't walk away from him. They find that it's joy unspeakable. It's full of glory. It's more than just a story. It's more than just a fairy tale. It's real, it's real. I know it's real. And that's what happened to them. They're, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Speak with tongues. They prophesied. That's what Acts 19 says. And then it walks us in this journey and gets us to this place that basically is just showing us that the apostle Paul was getting it done. He was the star. 
He magnified Jesus and Jesus was using him. It was a powerful, powerful season in the ministry of Paul. Amazing things are occurring. Because when you read, open your Bible, Acts 19. Right after this happens in Acts 19, names them as the 12 in verse 7. In verse 8, he speaks boldly for three months till he gets kicked out. Honestly, it's amazing that he even got any synagogue time if you study his history there. But he ends up there in the school of Tyrannus and verse 10 says that he continued by the space of two years so that all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. I gotta tell you, I can't read that without being convicted knowing that our church has been in history this long. He spent two years in a world with no World Wide Web and no social media, and yet everybody in the region in two years. God, let there be no neighborhoods that are out of our reach. Let there be no places that we're not reaching, that we're not doing our best to make sure that they all know that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. But everybody that was there at Asia, they heard the, they heard the word, Jews and Greeks, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Everybody say special miracles. Special miracles. Now, I want to tell everybody, any miracle is special. But there are special miracles, and I want you to watch this here. Verse 12. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Paul was so in tune with God, such a walk with God, that everyone he had been praying for was being healed and delivered. But it brought their faith, Sister Collins, to this place where they thought anything that's been in contact with him, please notice this, this is not about worshiping Paul. We're about to prove it out. It's not about worshiping Paul, but it's about acknowledging that Paul was the man of God. And because he was, we can travel, just traverse back a little bit to a woman that had been sick for 12 years and presses through the crowd and, and had convinced herself from the writings of Malachi, if I could touch the wings of his garments, there's healing in his wings. I don't even need to touch his body, but if I can touch the clothing that is touching his body. And the faith of that woman was so, so elevated that when she did press through the crowd, that Jesus had to stop and turn around and say, who touched me? And the crowd was all pressing him. And the disciples said, they throng you and press you. Why would you say, who touches me? He said, no, I felt virtue. 
felt virtue flow out of me. And it set something new in motion that you can read in the Gospels. You can read it just a handful of chapters later that it actually set a practice in motion. What we need to understand historically Historically, we're in a time where sorcery and witchcraft was running rampant. Brother Massengale, while this powerful thing was occurring, there was sorcery and witchcraft and all kinds of potions and concoctions and all kinds of, I'm going to tell you, it was absolutely nothing short of demonic influence that was working. And there was a woman that had come to understanding, if they can do that, and the and the formula that has been placed there and the practice that has been witnessed, it seems similar to what we see here in Acts the 19th chapter where they begin to bring aprons or handkerchiefs and they begin to bring them. One translation said it was like his sweatbands. The things that were on his clothing had a little bit of Paul's sweat on it and they were carrying it to people and they were saying, no, here, here, this isn't like miracle water you buy on TV. Come on, if you're doing that, stop that. They take that apron and they lay it on them. They just kind of lay that apron. And all of a sudden, demons were gone. Sicknesses were dried up. Oh, it's a magic apron. Get me that handkerchief. Order this handkerchief today for $19.95. We will sit. That's not what this was about. I'm going to tell you why it worked. Because Paul had one mission. And it was to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And the miraculous occurrences that were happening when they were leaving his body and they were going and touching someone. The only person that was getting credit was the Lord Jesus Christ. The only person that was getting exalted was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was getting magnified. He was getting lifted. He was getting exalted. So why do we in the current Pentecostal church still allow people to bring a handkerchief and we anoint it with oil and we pray for it and we bind together? I'm going to tell you why. Because we don't pray in your name. We don't pray in my name. We don't pray in Paul's name. We don't pray... We lay hands on that and we say by the authority of the word of God and the power of the name Jesus Christ by the example of Acts 19 we believe that healing virtue can flow not that men, hear me right now not that men might be exalted and not that Calvary Tabernacle Woo! That's not a very good church growth strategy to say that. No, you listen to me. It's a real good church growth strategy. I don't want Calvary getting credit for anything. I don't want our ministry team getting credit for anything. But I want everybody to know they believe Jesus is the one. He's the one who heals. He's the one that delivers. He's the one that sets free. They're not preaching about the mechanics of their oratory. They're not praying about the ability of their singing. But they believe that when they pray in the name of Jesus that, whoo, that those that are sick can recover. Those that are downtrodden and oppressed can be uplifted and strengthened. Somebody say in the name of Jesus. And that's what's occurring. And ladies and gentlemen, it was powerful. People everywhere were being healed because Paul 
was preaching Jesus and praying in the name of Jesus, baptizing in the name of Jesus, praying people through to the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus, laid hands on them. So watch. Remember the witchcraft? Remember the sorcery? Demonic possession was real, is real. And so there were these individuals who had begun to make a living as exorcists. They had begun to make a living in pretending. Whew, I feel something right now. They were pretending. I'm going to tell you what they were. They were traveling salesmen. And the scripture of Acts 19 calls them vagabond Jews. I'm going to tell you what they were. They were itinerant. They were traveling preachers. And they would go from town to town and area to area. And we find them here in this metropolitan area. And they're saying, hey, bring them to us and we'll set them free. They were. They had set up a circus before it was called a circus. Bring them to us and they'll find deliverance. The most dangerous and possibly saddest moment is when it says, and I speak to our families, but I speak to every person in this room, when it says there was seven sons of Sceva, a high priest there. Seven sons of Sceva who began to do the same and began to speak to a man who was possessed by demons and says the words, I adjure thee by Christ whom Paul preacheth. He preaches him. So I'm going to try to use him to build my ego and my business at the same time. Hear me now. Seven sons of Sceva, a quote-unquote high priest that we can't find mentioned anywhere else in the text. Whether the Jews or Gentiles and theologians, they argue about it. And really where they fall, I'm just going to tell you this. You don't qualify as a preacher if you don't even know Jesus. You don't qualify as a priest, Jew or Gentile, wherever you want to try to present yourself. And regardless of where the theologians want to try to get on either side, you know. And you got some like Bruce that say one thing. And the truth is this, at the end of the day, if you don't know Jesus and your children don't know Jesus... You're in a dangerous place. Whether he was a priest or not, according to the time and according to the law, I can tell you this, I can't find him and you can't find him anywhere else in the text. Whether he's just one of the high priests or one of the general priests and the way that it's textually recorded, I don't know that. I do know this though. It's dangerous when Jesus becomes your word and your name only so that you can get ahead. Jesus is not our bellhop to make us feel better or look better. Jesus is not the name we drop. I'm going to say something strong so you don't have to clap maybe unless you just want to not stand out. 
Jesus isn't the name we drop so that we can put a little more money in our pocket. Because that's what they were doing. They're building a business and building money. And watch this. We adjure thee by Christ whom Paul preacheth. And the, the devil's got a question. I know Jesus. Me and Jesus, long-standing issue. We got a lightning of a relationship. Some of y'all got that. Beheld Satan is like, okay. Jesus, I know. Turn to somebody by and say, Jesus, I know. Watch this. And Paul, I know. Mm-hmm. I know Jesus. I know Paul. Forgive me, I don't know what part of me it is, but Brother Gallion, there's part of me that would have loved to have been there when they said, who are you? You would have too, I know you enough. You would have too. You'd have sat them down in your office and said, see, this is why. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I want to present something to the body today because if you're really going to be a believer of Christ and a member of Calvary Tabernacle, I submit to you on this Sunday, it is more important that the devils do know your name. I'm going to tell you when you should be overwhelmed. For anybody that thinks you've been going through the struggle of your life and thinks you've been fighting like you've never fought before and feels like hell's been coming at you from every angle, you should be more nervous if they don't know the fact that hell knows who you are. Put you in the classification with the apostle Paul when they looked at him and said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? I've come to preach to Calvary Tabernacle this morning. I know who you are. You are a one God believer. You are a Holy Ghost filled believer. You are men and women of the name that is a that is above every name. You wanna know why your family is fighting? Because hell knows who you are. You want to know why you've had a bad month? Because hell hates you. Because hell knows if you'll keep praying and if you'll keep worshiping and if you'll... My God, I feel like coming unglued right now. The reason that you've been going through it is because hell knows you. I got a new one for everybody. You ought to just get up sometimes and say, hell knows who I am. Hell knows. Pastor, that doesn't seem like anything we'd worship about. If hell doesn't know who you are, they can overtake you. Read the text. They can overtake you and destroy you. But when hell knows who you are, there is no devil, there is no sickness, there is no torment, there is no trial, there is no There is no issue, there is no dilemma, there is no stronghold, there is no power greater than the power of the name. Oh, I wish 
you lift your voice and magnify the Lord with me. Come on, who are you today? You're a believer. Who are you today? I want you to stand with me in the house. Man, I feel arrested in my spirit. I know you've been battling sickness, but hell knows who you are. I know you've been overwhelmed mentally. Hell knows who you are. I wish somebody that's been going through it would just start walking down the aisle right now saying, I know who I am. And hell knows who I am. I'm a believer. 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 Come on, it's God's will to bless your family. It's God's desire to touch your mind. Lift your hands and lift your voices all over this building. Come on, let the believers lift their voices. Let the believers magnify God right now. Those who know him is more than Jesus whom Paul preaches. More than just whom Paul preaches. He's the one I've met. He's the one whose name I was baptized in. He's the one who filled me with his spirit. I know Paul preached him. I know my pastor preached him. I know my daddy taught me about him. But it's more than somebody else's relations. I know him for myself. Come on, I feel deliverance in this room. Lift your hands all over the building if you will. Somebody just begin to pray in the name of Jesus. There's people in this room that want to feel deliverance right now. Trying to find refuge in this place right now. In the name. Bring healing right now. Pour out your spirit right now. I think we got people already wanting to be baptized in Jesus' name. Get them ready. Let's get them ready. If you've never been baptized and you know you better do it today, I want you to just walk over by the baptismal over to my left, your right. In the name, in the name. Hear me right now, man. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
deep enough to be able to say that it's more than just who Paul preaches. But he's who I know. He's who I speak about. He's who I testify of. I don't just use a name to get ahead. It's not like dropping the right name to get some leverage. Hear me, members of Calvary Tabernacle. That's not how we can treat our prayer either. Think that if I just use the name, I can get some leverage out of this. That's why we pray, God, we want it to be done, but we're asking your will to be accomplished. A spirit came on them. Brother Ross jumped on them. They jumped on them. And it sent such fear. Watch this. Because I'm telling you, it's where we're at in the world right now. It sent such a shaking. It sent such trepidation through the city. All that sorcery and all that witchcraft. It made all those people say, you better get your life right. This Jesus thing is real. They did. The sorcerers, the witchcraft. I preach to every unrighteous spirit that would try to tuck itself up in this room and tell you that there is no name like the name of Jesus Christ. And we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over every false doctrine. Here's how I know it happened. Because you read the rest of that chapter. The Bible says they brought all those books of sorcery. They brought all those books of witchcraft. And they brought them together and they burned them. They burned. The cost, please hear me. The cost of books was so extravagant, based on denarius, the cost of books was so extravagant that they burned 135 years worth of salary. What does that mean? That means a lot of people had given in. It had started with the wrong video or the wrong nursery book. It had started with the introduction of things into childhood. Come on, I don't want to be too strong. I just want to pastor what I feel. They had introduced things to their children. That as they grew this sorcery and this witchcraft, all it took was one experience. One experience and fear grew upon them and they said, you better get your life right. Jesus is real. You better get your life right. Jesus is real. And I know that most in this room, you wouldn't have any books of witchcraft or sorcery, but you might have some magazine subscriptions. You might have some internet favorites. You might have some shows. Anything that needs to be consecrated so that we might stand back and say there's only one. There's only one who's worthy. 
There's only one who truly heals. There's only one who truly delivers. There's only one who truly sets free. Hear me in this room before, we're, before we come to pray. And, and when we do this, you can pray in your seat. You can pray in that row, that second altar. You can come to this front. But hear me right now. Witchcraft, sorcery, go all the way back. Go all the way back to, to Moses and Aaron standing before Pharaoh and them calling the magicians. Go and trace their names down. Janies and Jambres in the New Testament. Go do a, a, a biblical study of it. It's always been around because it's an influence of hell. Here's what it's about though. It is distraction from magnifying the power of God. It is not a distraction from magnifying power. It's a distraction from magnifying the power of God. There's always been one who wanted the recognition. He is not God's opposite. The devil is not God's nemissary in the sense that he has some level good, bad. No, 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 no. But always, and so any kind of false doctrine, any kind of teaching or heresy that would try to take power, and I'm telling you right now, He's after our children. He's after our teens. You teenagers, you better hear me right now. It matters what you watch. It matters what you, it matters what you read. It matters what you listen to. It matters. Marriages, you hear me right now. There is, a, there is a spirit. Anything that is not of Christ is anti. Come on, this is a church of believers. We believe, Brother Mac, the rapture, which means the catching away of the church, that God will gather the bride of Christ unto Himself. It is close, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord is soon to draw and receive the church. I wish you'd lift your hands with me right now. And somebody would begin to recommit with me all over this house. I want to know who I am in you. Man, I feel this right now. I wish some husband and wife would take each other.